we're talking about in this setting is uh, literally what does God think and what does God hold as our path to be blessed and to have a life of fulfillment and to be free and to live life high in the presence of the Lord. But more than being blessed is the fact that we are here to please our Heavenly Father, and when we please Him, everything begins to work right in our lives. We know that all of us have been designed by God for love. And deep in our hearts, we have this need to be loved and also to be able to love others. To allow people to love us, not with conditions, but we are loved for who we are, and we begin to understand over and over again that we are a person that has value, that our lives are not insignificant, but we are significant daughters of the king and sons of the king, Jesus. And that when we see our relationship as it relates to the king, it makes us very confident that we can be who he called us to be by being and sharing love. One very instrumental part of all of our lives, relationally, where love comes in, is in dating. Parents decide that time, hopefully, after high school. <clears throat> and our dating, <clears throat> after a high school, just say that, after, after high school. And when we begin these... Uh, relationships, you're single, happy, and looking around. And we know that dating helps you to work on your relationship skills. It helps you grow as a person relationally. And then also, it ought to be a place where our character is growing to be more like Christ, not less. And so dating can be very dangerous because we marry someone we date. And that's profound. And uh, so, thank you. I come with those profound states. We marry someone we date and it means that there ought to be not just a look at the person, but there also should be the look of wisdom. Because what you see is not always what you get. When Sarah began dating when Sarah began dating David and they started spending time together, she was 
just amazed at how attractive he was, how confident, how immensely successful, charming. And she thought, I'm done, I'm smitten. But as the relationship went on, she had a few other words to describe Mr. David. One of the words was controlling and, and possessive. And then it moved from controlling and possessive to smothering. And so Sarah started to back away from the relationship and every time that she did, she would hear from him, no one will ever love you like I love you. And then she found herself having sex with him and violating her values. What Sarah had done was she had failed to integrate her spiritual life in her dating life. She had separated the two, and she violated a really clear directive in the Bible in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, where the Apostle Paul, under the influence of the grace of God, says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Sarah had somehow co-mixed a matrix of thoughts, but with the wrong person. In those days, as you're aware, the oxen would be yoked together, and they were yoked together so they could be able to pull tremendous, for, uh, tremendous weights forward. In those days, if, if one of the pair was weaker, they would find that they would end up going around the oxen would go around in circles because one was pulling, the other wasn't. Not in any way to condemn. These uh, heavenly directives are just like, so would you let your child run in front of a truck? Or would you say, no way. There are certain things that we do as parents or as Teenagers or young adults that we think, yes, we drive on the right side of the road. Who would tell their teenager, drive on the left side? But Jesus gives us these clear directives, and it is for us so we can live a life that is a blessing to the Lord, and it's also a blessing to us. So what he is saying here, don't think about it, don't do it, don't allow yourself to be carried away. I want you to have a great life, and that great life ha happens when every dating relationship is grounded 
on the relationship with Jesus. Every marriage works the best when the relationships are based on Jesus. Because when you are both into Jesus, you are following Jesus. You're not following your own human instincts. You are following Jesus. And wherever you are, and whatever date you're on, or whatever room you're in, you're reminding yourself, I have now decided to follow Jesus. And when we follow Jesus, we end up at the right place, at the right time, doing the right thing that changes our lives. John 17, 17, I'd like you to read it uh, out loud with me. Everyone, make them holy, teach them your word. Now these words are words that Jesus prayed uh, right there at the end of his life and he was praying for his leaders. He also was praying for every believer, you and me. And what he is saying here, he gives us, uh, Jesus is praying, he gives us this, uh, this high line of how we are to live. And he says, now, I'm going to give you the opportunity to live high. And I want you to live high, not on drugs or alcohol. I want you to live high. I want you to live high. And I want you to live high on a thing called being holy. And being holy is not wearing, not deciding not to wear makeup because you need to continue that. But being holy, <laughs> being holy means that we are separated from sin and we are separated, stay with me, we are separated unto the Lord God Almighty. In other words, we have sold out to Jesus. And so we have decided to follow Jesus and separate ourselves from the sin that would beseech us. It is a decision we make every day. However, we have a serious problem, all of us. Because the Bible says that we have a sinful nature. When we come to Jesus, we have a new nature. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. It is Christ living inside of us, so now we are a new creation, and out of this, this new nature with Christ living in us, we begin to live a total diff a whole different life. However, on any, any given day, we have access to our sinful nature. Our sinful nature has not been eradicated. It's still there. And when we turn and we begin to live out of the sinful nature rather than our nature in Christ, that's where we go down the path of spiritual bondage. And so we have to have help. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. And the Holy Spirit is our helper. And when we can't do it ourselves, and we are tempted, and we are turned in the right, wrong direction, then the Holy Spirit is there to help us. He is the helper, and he is a good helper. I'd like you to open 
uh, or pull out your Bible to Galatians chapter 5, and we'll begin reading with verse 16. If you're here, just say yes, yes. Those that are watching, hope you have a cup of uh, herb tea and you're joining us uh, right now. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants, and the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And pick it up right there and read it with me, please. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you are not... Go on. When Uh, that's verse 20. <laughs> now, first of all, uh, I know we have guests here today, so I want to give a disclaimer here. Uh, I did not write the Bible, and I am, I am just reading what God says, and I don't want anybody to feel condemned, uh, just convicted. Uh, So, what we've just read is that there's this conflict between the Spirit, Holy Spirit, and our sinful nature, and they're in conflict, but we can always, every day, yield to the Holy Spirit. In the realm of sexuality now, he gives us these three important wrong turns, and he says here, sexual immorality. From the Greek word, pornea, which comes from our English word, pornography. Some translations use the word fornication. This word incorporates a vast number of aberrant sexual behaviors, such as adultery, such as sleeping around with someone you're not married to, such as homosexuality, lesbianism, and incest, and pornography. It's a big term here that encompasses bad things. Under the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul says and warns us, stay away from sexual immorality. Then he says, stay away from impurity or anything that disrupts your relationship with God, that it is unclean. And then lastly, he says, lustful pleasures, which is sensuality, which is in essence unrestricted sexual indulgence without concern for what other people think. Bottom line, he's saying, don't fool around in these areas because 
when you do, there is an enemy that will be applauding. His name is Satan, and he wants to have disciples. He wants to have followers, and he gets you into the trap and takes you very casually at the wrong place at the wrong time, kind of going along with what's happening in the club or what's happening at work while they're all drinking and you're in the wrong environment at the wrong, wrong time, innocent perhaps, but the spirit that is around there will take you out. And when it takes you out, it has one major level lever and it is to make you have shame. Shame makes you feel like you, are, you should hide, run and hide. Because when we have shame, we are hiding something. When you read your Bible, you don't hide that from anyone. Or you're doing what is right, you don't hide it. Because you don't want to hide something that is right. But when it's wrong, you want to be like Adam and Eve and get some fig leaves and cover yourself. And the enemy loves you to cover yourself. Whoa. The point is, stay sexually pure. Say that with me. Stay. What happens in a nation when we disregard these directions of the Holy Spirit? What happens to America when we disregard God's highest place regarding our sexuality. Well, we have sexually uh, STD, sexually transmitted diseases. We now have 20 million new sexually transmitted infections in the United States each year. One half of them between the age of 15 and 24, one half. One out of four teenagers each year will have this sexual STD. One out of four. Could it be God doesn't want us to have sexual infections? And sometimes you can't have a baby when you have that stuff. So it's not like he doesn't want us to have fun and it's not that God is against sex. God was the one who designed sex, and he said this, go, go out and be fruitful and multiply. And so God is for sex, and we have made sex dirty, and we talk about sex everywhere, but this kind of a, a venue, well, we better talk about it. The U.S. has the highest STD infection in the industrial world. We're a nation far from the paths of Jesus. But let me tell you something. In this city, in this church, in this congregation, we can, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, stir up a sexual revolution of purity. Forty percent of all the births in America now are through wedlock. 
So here's a party and here's a whatever they're doing and it seems frivolous and you have sex somewhere and then, boy, that was great. And then she's pregnant and call that guy. I'll tell you, he doesn't want to pay for that baby or be around. You won't find Jimmy. And then that mother wedlock now is going to live, the records say, in poverty, below the poverty line. You better stop before you have frivolous sex with someone somewhere. 46% of uh, our high school students already had sex. It's wrong. It's wrong out of marriage. I don't care what they say. The Bible says it's wrong. It's wrong. Every year, about one million more children are born into fatherless homes. What is the problem in the nation? What is, what's wrong with our nation? Why are we falling apart? We're falling apart in our families. We're falling our fa- apart uh, in part because we don't have any fa- biological fathers that are home. A million kids wake up. There are a million new ones every single year, and so we have no, our homes are messed up. We have to be that model that restores our homes. That every married man in this room is not sleeping with his assistant. You are, you are committed to your wife. And the young people here are not fooling around. Keep your hands holy. And girls, if that guy, if he tries to put his, his hand anywhere than on your foot or beneath your foot, use your holy ghost hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. As I said last week, have him drop you off at the 7-Eleven and get an Uber and go home and say, goodbye, Jack. I'm done. It's amazing how many of our women are dressing sexually. Now, women, girls, should be attractive. I believe in makeup. It's anointed. (laughs) I believe you should be attractive. There's a difference in being attractive and sexual. And people that dress sexual are trying to use that to have value. And you you need to... Hallelujah. (laughs) Women, women, girls, men are affected by eyesight. Don't cause a man to fall or a boy to fall. Praise God. Cover yourself. Hallelujah. It's like you have, and mothers, don't you let... Don't you let your daughter go out looking like that. You better be a student of what looks sexual because if you're going out for sex, if you're sexual, guess who's going to come your way? They're going to come because you're, you're sexual and that's not what you want. You want when a guy looks at you as a young girl, older girl, woman, When they look at you, 
A man should say, not, I'd like to spend a night with her. No, they should say, I'd like to spend a life with her. You better watch how you dress because you may get what you don't, you may get what you deserve and it may take you out. And we have to have a reassessment of women dressing and not sexual. I've already said that. (laughs) Getting off my notes here. God intended sexuality to be expressed solely within the boundaries of the marriage covenant. Sex is not only a physical experience. It's getting quiet in here right now. Don't act like you don't know anything about this. Anyway. When you are in a marriage covenant, that's why you need to be married and not live with someone, just to go out and live with them. There's a whole study I'll be doing next week on that because there's a higher 33% level of divorce rate with those that just shack up and live in rather than going God's way because there's no commitment there. It's like, you please me, I'm staying with you. And uh, if Jimmy's not happy, he's going to leave. That, what kind of deal is that? I'd rather have somebody that says, Alex, that's what Judy said. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Point I was making is that it is a re- relationship of intimacy, and it involves, yes, physical, but it involves emotions, and it involves our body, soul, and spirit. It is the highest level of that intimacy that two people have a marriage covenant, not a license, a covenant. That's why you don't fool around. You're in a covenant We have pastors going down, standing in pulpits like this, and they're going down. What happened? They forgot that the whole thing is about pleasing the Lord, and that's where it begins and it ends, and that's why we say no to a lot of things, not to be blessed only. We are here here following Jesus and doing what he wants us to do and please him. That's why it says here, verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against these things. Two of those kind of like popped up, almost extinct in our culture. Faithfulness. Say that word. Faithfulness. Say it again. Say it a little louder. That means you keep doing the same thing. Somebody tells you off in this church, you don't run off. You got faithfulness. You're called here. You're going to raise generations here. People changing jobs every six months because Billy Boo and -and so-and-so got a problem. Hey, listen. 
You're going to have a lot of problems, but you have to have staying power, faithfulness. Say it again, faithfulness, faithfulness, and self-control. Yeah, I'd like to do that. Yeah, that looks good. I'm following Jesus. I hope the next time you're in that setting that you will remember my feelings are pulled over there, but I'm following Jesus. And I don't want to displease him. I want to please the Lord. This Bible says that the Holy Spirit produces these things in us. Now, what happens if you're sitting in the room and all of us have had challenges in this area, but you may be sitting and saying, oh my God, I am messed up. Well, it's wonderful to know that the truth is that forgiveness restores the standard of holiness in us and through us. And when we repent, when we repent, he gives us permission to live happy ever after. There's an old verse we need to kind of dust off a little bit in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins. Notice it says sins. This is for believers. If we confess our sins, when we come to Christ, we confess our sin because we couldn't number all the sins we made, okay? No, we come to Christ and say, I repent. In other words, I change my whole orientation here from myself to follow Christ. Here, it talks about sins. It's not living in bondage. It's not living in in uh, guilt for the next uh, months. It's an instant thing where you say, Lord, I confess I did this and I am sorry and Lord, take my sin and as David said in, in Psalm 51, 16, create in me a clean heart, O God, and restore to me a loyal Spirit to you. We can't even express the meaning of grace. We only know when we should be pushed down that Jesus lifts us up and he says, with a smile on his face, whoever comes to me, you turn from your sin. I'll change your life. So this morning we have great hope no matter how violently we have messed up our life that Christ is here to hold us in his arms and to make things right. God responds to a repentive heart because he wants to love us to such an extent that we actually can experience his love and be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In this series, I felt like there is a great power
power that tries to bring lust, strongholds, and sometimes there, can, there has to be deliverance from the strongholds of these kinds of sexual maladies. But the Holy Spirit is here, and we have the assurance that we are not only fighting, but God is fighting for us, lighting up the darkness that when we are at our lowest, so I was with someone recently who had gone down a long road, was coming back, and I felt all the grace of God at that moment of how merciful the Lord is. And this morning, we're going to, I guess it's afternoon now, we're going to sing the song, God is fighting for us. Maybe you're fighting sickness. Maybe you're fighting depression. Maybe you're fighting hopelessness. I'm going to ask that everybody stay for just a couple moments and no one leave unless it's an emergency. But last week in the service, I don't know what happened, but I left like freer. I don't know what happened to me. Anyone else get touched last week? Like, and uh, so we're gonna we're just gonna sing this song, and we're gonna have a shout coming up. But I want you just to say, listen, Galatians 5:13. It says, "For you have been called to live in freedom." my brothers and sisters. Let's, let's believe that God is fighting for us. You may not even be able to sing the song. That's okay. There's enough power over here to break the strongholds over you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. No one leave for a moment.
never, we never dismiss our service without giving people an opportunity to open their hearts to Jesus and be forgiven of their sins. We have a cross here that reminds us that Christ came, died on the cross for our sin and for our sickness and for our pain, that we can have a new heart and that we can experience the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter how much shame we have, no matter if we feel worthless, we have value because he died on the cross for us and he wants to change our lives. So this can be your moment not to be religious, but to be made right with God by opening your heart. I'm going to count to three at the end of that time. If you'd like us to pray for you or you want to be forgiven of your sin, you can just raise your hand. One, two, three. Put up your hands all over the building. Put them up back there. Yes. Put them up. Put them up. Put them up. Put them up right now. Put them up. Put them up. I'm going to ask every person. I'm going to ask every, ask every person to, that lifted your hand to come. Walk down the aisle. Just stand here. We'll have a, a one-minute prayer with you. Come wherever you are. Come. Come. Come, 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 come to Christ. That's it. Come, come. Balcony, come. Come, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. That's it. Come on, come on. do something that is a little awkward, but I'd rather see someone in heaven and it be a little uncomfortable and to see someone leave when we could help them. In a minute, we're just going to turn to someone and say, do you need Jesus' forgiveness? If they said yes, just say, see, here's someone coming down right now. Just, just say, just say, I'll walk down the aisle with you. And there's several in the balcony. You need to come to Christ. So I know it's awkward, but turn to somebody and just say, do you need Jesus? And if they do, bring them down right now. Bring them down right now, wherever they are. Do it right now. Anyone that's coming in Jesus' name. Come right now. Oh, we're going to sing this song again. In Jesus' name, I break the hold now in Jesus. Every Christian pray with me. In the name of Jesus, I break the hold over people's lives. We declare bondage is broken, and that spirit that holds people from coming to Jesus is the enemy. And we're after the enemy today. And we break your stronghold over people in this building that need forgiveness in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do that other song in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. You come right now. Come right now in Jesus' name because we are not giving up. We are believing the lost can be found in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. 
in Jesus' name. Last week at the one o'clock service, I was waiting like I was just waiting here, uncomfortable. I felt there was a couple that needed to come. They came. Pastor Dave, one of your team members, told me that this girl was a Hindu, and four times she had a dream of God's hand coming down on her head. And in that service, I had put my hand and said, the Lord is calling you to Jesus. And a Hindu came to Christ, the only true God. <laughs> There's another couple in this room. This is your destiny right now, and you need to come because your life will be changed with that one action of stepping out. In Jesus' name, we're going to pray here with the team, and we're going to ask everyone to pray this prayer. Your next step is to be baptized, make a declaration in water to be immersed. Pastor Dave is here. After we pray, he's going to slip to the side, but let's all pray this prayer. Jesus, I put my faith in you. You took my sin on the cross. I confess and believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. He's alive. I turn from my sin. I repent of my sin. I abandon my life to follow Jesus. Jesus, come into my heart. Give me your grace, the gift of righteousness, and eternal life. You prayed that prayer, you're in the family of the Lord. God bless you.